If you're anything like me, at least once in your life, you completely misunderstood who someone was. Maybe you underestimated him. Maybe he was just different from who you thought he was. Maybe you bought into the convenient lies of his enemies or the press, but I repeat myself. It was in 1980, and the man I misunderstood was Ronald Reagan. Reagan's two terms as governor of California exactly encompassed my high school and college years. Now, while the press back then was not as bad as today, it was still plenty biased against Ronald Reagan. And though even at that age I was a conservative, after all, my first vote in a presidential election, I voted for Richard Nixon. And I'm the only one to this day who did. And my vote carried a lot of weight because I can't find anybody who voted for Richard Nixon, but I did. So while I was um, still conservative, I was still affected by all the negative coverage By the time 1980 rolled around, I was writing a political satire column every week for the Mountain News up here and uh, wrote a column about being astonished after the election that I had actually voted for Ronald Reagan. You know, that Ronald Reagan uh, that was called an amiable dunce, I like that word, uh, by uh, somebody in, uh, uh, by a Democrat uh, policymaker, the Ronald Reagan, whose brain writer Peggy Noonan, who's supposedly a conservative columnist and speechwriter, she called Ronald Reagan's brain barren terrain. (laughs) Okay. Um, The Ronald Reagan who brought down the Berlin Wall. The Ronald Reagan who made the Soviet Union surrender. The Ronald Reagan, who is considered one of the most consequential presidents who ever lived. That Ronald Reagan, in words that George W. Bush might have used, I misunderestimated the man. I bring this up because the disciples misunderestimated Jesus. It is my contention that not only did they not truly believe who Jesus was, but because of this, they were not believers. Because you cannot believe in somebody if you don't know who they are. In Acts 1, verses 6 through 12, it says, and we're covering some more territory that we covered last week, and we'll go back to the Gospels once again this week, but it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, 
Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. We looked at verse 4 last week. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This line shows that even at this late date, the disciples did not truly know who Jesus was or what the kingdom was. They'd been with him for three years at this point. They'd seen him heal the sick. They'd seen him heal lepers. They'd seen him heal a man man who was blind from birth. And this astounded everyone, including the Pharisees, because people who are blind from birth can not see. Even today, when people have their sight restored, if if they lost their sight too early, it is a curse to them because your brain has to develop with your eyesight for you to be able to see. And if you've been blind from birth, you cannot see. And yet, when Jesus healed the blind man, the blind man could instantly see. We know that they knew this at that time because the priest demanded of the blind man, how did this happen? Right? How did this happen? They asked the blind man, how did this happen? And he said, all I know is that I was blind and now I see. They'd seen him raise Jairus' daughter that everybody knew was dead. They'd even seen him raise Lazarus, four days dead from the tomb. His sister said, Lord, he is dead four days. There will be a smell. These people knew what were going on, what was going on. They are not primitive people. Jesus at one point even asks them, Who do you think I am? In Matthew sixteen, thirteen through sixteen, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus commends him because his answer is correct. The problem was, the supposed mission of the Christ was misunderstood. We all know that the nation of Israel was waiting for the Messiah a savior to deliver them from the hands of the Romans. They were waiting for a warrior king to liberate them. But where did they get the idea that the Messiah would be a warrior? Have you ever looked it up? Because I read every messianic prophecy in the Old Testament this week. The best prophetic uh, descriptive of the Christ is found in Isaiah 9-6, and we use this at Christmas time a lot. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. 
Nothing says warrior there. And you know what? I think they missed the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace part in this prophecy. Because that's not who they were expecting. They were still expecting a warrior king. Neither does Isaiah 42, 2 through 3 sound like a warrior king. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. There's not a whole lot there about liberating Israel. Once again, it's about a savior. Isaiah 11.10 says, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. The Gentiles will seek him. There's no liberation here. Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. None of this sounds like a fierce fighting king. So why was Israel waiting for one? Well, it's undoubtedly because they knew it was going to come from the line of David. The king was coming from the line of David. And what was David? David was a quintessential warrior king. He delivered as a young man the nation from Goliath without any armor and really without any weapons. So they were expecting somebody like David. But do you know what? They got somebody exactly like David. They didn't get the warrior David. They got the David who had a heart sought after God. So here's the disciples' dilemma. As Jesus taught them for three years and explained his mission taught them about God's kingdom. What they really heard in all of that was kingdom. You ever see the joke about what a dog hears and when you speak to them, and dog hears blah, 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 rover, blah, 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 rover, right? All they heard here was kingdom. And what is a kingdom to them? They were the disciples, the best friends of a king. I mean, everybody knew Jesus was a king. Just the week before Passover, in Matthew 21, 1 through 11, it's recorded, Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them. Think about that right there. You know, that's never occurred to me before. Jesus says to them, the Lord, tell them that the Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, 
and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. They greeted him as a king and escorted him into Jerusalem as a king. Lining the road with their cloaks, and palm branches as he rode into town. The priests and the scribes and Pharisees knew he was the king, which is why they falsely charged him and turned him over to Pilate. And even the Roman governor Pilate knew he was a king. Now Jesus stood before the governor, Matthew twenty-seven eleven through 14. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him, and Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. John 19, 19 through 22 shows Pontius Pilate putting a finer point on the matter. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. And I've never really noticed that before either. That Pilate wrote the inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And I'm not positive he wrote that ironically. Many of the Jews read this inscription For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. You know, I don't read closely enough when I read the Bible, because it was written in all the common languages. Pilate wanted this read. There was not anybody who was going to pass by this cross that did not read this. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. So everyone was in in agreement. Backing up to the three years Jesus was teaching the twelve, they knew Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, the worker of mighty wonders, Miracles. He was his king, and he had told them that he was setting up his kingdom. These things were as clear as day to them. Also clear to them as day was that a king needs ministers to administer his government. He needs a prime minister. He needs under ministers. And who better than his disciples? And they were jockeying for position. They were jockeying for position in an earthly kingdom. 
and really would not believe that the kingdom of God was a heavenly kingdom. We can see this in Mark 9.33. Jesus and the twelve were walking to Capernaum. And the disciples were discreetly arguing among themselves about who was greatest. Verses 33 through 35 says, And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, and this is Jesus, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. So he asked what they were arguing about, and they say, Ah, nothing. And Jesus then tells them about godly greatness. Later in Mark 10.35, we see James and John explicitly asking for powerful positions in Jesus' kingdom. And what's even worse, Matthew 20.20, which is a parallel uh, version, makes it uh, clear that they asked their mother to ask for jobs from Jesus. Okay? Send, Send mother in. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? Now this is a favorite person in Jesus' life. John was his closest friend. His mother was dear to him. She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. And he said to them, You will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. You don't know what you're asking. And no, they didn't. They're going to... They wanted to be prime minister or some sort of government hotshots. But here's the kicker, and this is what I really like. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Got that? They were indignant. Indignant, I say. I'm here to tell you that they were indignant that they hadn't thought of it first. So Jesus tries once again to explain the kingdom and the kingdom order to his 12, verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do the disciples finally understand? No. Because this is not how kingdoms work. Do you think King Saul was a servant? Do you think King David was a slave? Did King Solomon come to serve? Not to be served? No. They were earthly kings. What Jesus is telling them is nonsensical to their ears. 
So back to Acts 1, verse 4. They asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They still did not truly believe Jesus because they still didn't understand who Jesus was. Think back to the resurrection. The disciples were, as one commentator said, incredulous that he rose. They didn't expect it. They weren't camped out overnight at the tomb. They weren't there to see the Lord walk out. Or his crucifixion. They couldn't believe he was going to die. John was the only one at the cross. Why didn't he tell them what was going to happen? Why didn't he give them a hint? Why did he keep them in the dark? Luke 9:43 through 45 says, But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Okay, he's going to be delivered in the hands of men. That could have been clearer. That they were afraid to ask him what this meant doesn't mean that they were afraid of him. They weren't afraid of Jesus. They were afraid of the answer. And they didn't want to know. Maybe Luke 13, 31-34 makes it clearer. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. Well, that's not so clear either, is it? So how about Luke 18, 31 through 34? And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Now, that's pretty clear, right? So, they still don't believe, and it's sort of got to be supernatural at this point that they don't believe. So maybe Matthew 16, 21 through 22 will help. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. I think they're beginning to get it, but they still don't truly believe. Matthew 17, 22 through 23 says, As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered in the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will 
be raised on the third day, and they were greatly distressed. They get the killed part, and they're distressed. But they don't believe the raised in three days part. Then there is Mark 8, 31-33, and it's a parallel passage, something I just read, but I'm going to read further into it. And he began to reach, teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Okay? You got that? Peter takes Jesus aside and says, You're wrong. Jesus, the Word of God, who created everything, He's the one who's wrong here. But turning and seeing His disciples, He rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So if living with and being taught by Jesus for three years doesn't make the disciples believe in him, what will? The correct prediction of his death? Nah, that didn't do it. The resurrection? Well, they were, they were dumbfounded. They were incredulous and would not believe. Maybe the 40 days of teaching from Jesus post-resurrection before the ascension would do it. But no, they still didn't believe. So, all of this introduction brings us to our passage for today, and that's Acts 1, 9 through 11. To repeat verses 6 through 8, so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then it happens. The event that turns every follower of Jesus into a believer. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. The resurrection of Jesus took place in the twilight of early morning when no one was around and no one was there to see it. There were no witnesses. But in this last earthly act of Jesus, maybe better stated as the last unearthly act of Jesus, Jesus returns to heaven to take his place at the right hand of the Father. And it was not done in secret, but rather as publicly as it could possibly be done. If Jesus had just stopped appearing to the disciples and gone to be with the Father without a demonstration, they might have thought they were deluded in their grief. They might have thought none of this ever really happened, that they were mistaken by who this man was. Remember, they didn't truly recognize him until he allowed them to recognize him. No, God decided a final lesson was in order. It says he was lifted up 
This connotes that it was done slowly, majestically. Their eyes were fixed on him the entire time he rose into the heavens. They watched as a, quote, cloud took him out of sight. Clouds were a symbol of God's presence. Remember in the wilderness, the Jews were led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The tabernacle was guarded by the pillar by the cloud and the pillar of fire. When the cloud descended on the tabernacle, the Jews camped there until it was raised from the from the tabernacle. And when the cloud descended, they assumed God was in his tabernacle. As the disciples watched, Jesus rose as the glory of God enveloped him. And finally, they could see Jesus no more. And just as I would do, and I'm sure you would do too, they continued staring up to where he disappeared to see what was going to happen next. Was he going to return? Was a band of angels going to come down and finally install that uh, government uh, in Israel? Were the loyal followers of Jesus about to get the reward and the positions they deserved? Would they receive the power Jesus promised and they expected? Well, the answer to all these questions is yes and no. The kingdom would be established The disciples would receive positions in the kingdom. They would receive power from God. And none of it would be done in the way they expected. Remember back to James and John wanting to be seated at the left and right hand of Jesus. Remember the disciples arguing on the road to Capernaum about who was the greatest among them. It never happens again. It's never even discussed. Not one more time. Not one disciple puts themselves above another. In fact, when uh, Paul becomes an apostle, he has to go and confront Peter on the Judaizers. And Peter took it from Paul, the murderer of the Christians, who had been saved now by God. Peter wasn't above Reproach, rebuke, either was Paul. But it never happens again. They do not jockey for position. They don't call themselves greater. It's the Catholic Church teaching that Peter is uh, that Peter is the superior apostle. It is not a Bible teaching. At this moment, they become bond slaves of God, where He sends. They will go. And their only complaint, like that of Paul, was that they might not be allowed to take the gospel to all the places that they want to go. That their witness would not be large enough. I've told you about a great uncle of mine who was truly a wonderful Christian man. I'm getting old. I'm getting so old because my great uncle went and fought in World War I in, in France. And I never knew what happened there. He would never talk about it. I don't know where he was. I don't know what he did. All I know is that what he saw there 
made him cry out to God and say, God, if you will bring me back from this, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And my great uncle, since I do know him, and this was World War I, over a hundred years ago, he came back from World War I, and he truly served God the rest of his life. And when he was 86, he developed leukemia. And as he lay dying in the hospital, he said, this can't be right. I've got more to do. Jesus can't be done with me yet. I've got more to do. And this is what the disciples had to say. It was the end of their selfishness and the beginning of their selflessness. Verse 10 says, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? So here they are, still staring into the sky, and two guys show up and say, Hey, what are you guys looking at? Okay, it wasn't two guys. It was two angels. The clue here is the white robes, which is usually associated with angels. And there is a mild rebuke in their statement. Why do you stand here looking into heaven? Jesus has returned to the Father, but it's time for you guys to get to work. Don't just stand there. Do something. And verse 11 says, This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus will come back in the same way you saw him leave in power and in glory. So as I close the sermon today, I want to share a few notes that didn't make it into the sermon. (laughs) Too much information, too little time. Too little narrative. Jesus gave the charge to his apostles to be witnesses of his. The word witness in Greek is martus, martus. So many of Christ's witnesses went into the world and were killed and their blood spilled on the ground that the word witness, martus, became our word martyr. The apostles, almost to a man, would come to embody both words. Another interesting thing is Jesus tells them to take his message to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. But wait! Israel was divided into three parts. It was divided into Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. But they were not told to take the word into Galilee. Why not? The answer lies in the fact that Jesus and his disciples were all Galileans. Jesus' ministry centered in Galilee. Many of his miracles were performed in Galilee. The the huge crowds that followed him to the point that he had to feed the 5,000. This was all in Galilee, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. They were not told to take the message to Galilee because as one commenter said, Galilee was already Terra Christus, 
It was already the land of Christ. So the apostles followed Christ's charge. I told you before where the apostles preached, and the list was long, but remember, you know, the apostle Paul had Luke with him, and had John Mark with him, and had other followers, Apollos. All the apostles had other people. We don't know where they went. Where do you think they went? I'll bet the list of places that the first century, not even, yeah, the first century Christians preached, was a lot longer than the one that I gave you last week. Christians have always answered Jesus' call to take the gospel to the end of the world. Are we looking up into the sky, waiting for the Lord to return? We do not know the day or the hour, so that we would be found at work when Jesus returns. I did the math. I am now 12, count them, 12 verses into Acts after three, three sermons. And at that rate, if, I, if Bill and I keep trading the teaching assignments, and if I get through four verses every sermon, I will be 82 when I finish Acts, okay? Works out. That's 14 years away. Heck, even uh, Carlos and Anna will be middle-aged by that time. <laughs> will I be found at my work? I hope so. If Jesus returns during my lifetime, will I still be preaching? I'll probably still be an axe, you know, so... What can we say? Do not stare up at the sky. The fields are at your feet and they're ready for harvest. I started out how I once misunderestimated someone. And I bring this back to the apostles. Did they not understand who Jesus was? Yes, they did not understand. Did they not believe him and his teaching? Yes, they did not believe him and his teaching. But in the end, the Holy Spirit guided them and they came to know exactly who Jesus was and that he was God and Savior and King. Let's close in prayer. Lord, let us truly know who you are. Let us know how to truly follow you. Let us not deny you, but to follow you where we need to go. Let us be at work when you come back or when you take us home. Let us keep our eyes on the task you have given us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.